was was it was it get lost that you said or a little bit more aggressive well i mean i think i think it's important for people to know that it was, it was a little more assertive than get lost Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. every other day at least um, for 45 days straight. And then what, uh, what elliptical did you purchase? Um, I can't think of the name, uh, but enough. we purchased, we purchased it used um, a couple of years ago. I really enjoyed the elliptical, but I made the mistake of, um, and, and this goes counter to my typical shopping habits. Uh, but I made the mistake of going very low end, uh, a very low end pro form model. Yeah. Um, and I fell in love with it and I used it every day and about seven months in, it just like completely fell apart to the point I couldn't hold it together with duct tape. So it was disappointing. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm going to, I, I remembered the name after I said I didn't. So I just, I slacked it. It's an octane fitness Q35. But we bought Excellent. it used for like four hundred bucks. But but it it's like one of those like commercial. Oh yeah, that's your big boy. Versions. That's you your know. that's your full size. That's yeah. your big boy. The route you get. Did, does anyone know the reference? I don't. I don't. I don't. No. No reference. Wow. Oh, that no. That's the full size. Yeah. That's your big boy. It's uh, Seinfeld when they're discussing the Intamins uh, coffee cake. Or is it Drake's coffee cake? I think it's Entenmann's. Um, and uh, I think it's when Jerry's neighbor was in the hospital in a coma. Yeah. And he's bartering with uh, Newman. And he's like, you know, I got the, got the, yeah, the, the, was it Drake's? Yeah, it was Drake's coffee cake. He's like, is that the full size? Yep. That's your big boy. <laughs> I yeah. think I remember that now. I still don't remember it. One of the things that I uh, I'd like to do um, because I'm looking for some ways to use some of my spare time in a more creative endeavor, and I figure one of the best things I could do is uh, watch end to end um, the entire lineup of Seinfeld episodes. Um, did, have we talked about this? Maybe so, no. maybe Jim yeah. and I talked about it. Um, it's both fascinating and has thrown me into a completely other world where everything is discombobulated. It's like I'm in bizarre world. <clears throat> so uh, Ben Gaines bought me the full box set of the DVDs of Seinfeld. You told me that, yeah. Wait, which what's, is, a, what's a DVD? Yeah, a DVD? Oh, for you for you kids out there, it's um, it's this um, metal. Disc we got the DVDs and the, the DVD player down here. <laughs> Down it's, here at the it, best boy. It's a great box set. I love the pop-up version because you learn so many new facts. However, recently, um, due to a overwhelming of peer pressure from my children, I uh, added Disney Plus to our streaming options. Yep. Uh, um, and also Hulu, which I did the Hulu Disney Plus ESPN package. Um, and I found on Hulu the entire set. Of Seinfeld episodes, right? Yep. Now here's where it gets interesting. They're not uh, right. They're not quite right, Brian. No. And yeah, they're like out of order, and it yeah. and it's yeah. and it's messing with my head. And I will tell you, this hit me, and I can't remember what season. Very early, one of the very early seasons. Uh, it's about eleven thirty at night. I'm stretched out on the couch with a little uh, hundred calorie pack of uh, Pringles and a Fresca. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm living the best life, you know, watching some Seinfeld and an episode caffeinated fresca or non-caffeinated. 
uh, non-caffeinated um, oh, okay. original. Yeah. Original. I didn't even know they made a caffeinated fresco. It, it's all caffeinated. It was a kind of a trick question. It's it's not. Okay. Oh, I mean, I mean, you got to stay off of the Reddit forums, dude. Like, <laughs> it, it's gone I'm, to like a whole other level of concerning at this point for me. Oh, shit. It is okay. It See? isn't caffeinated. It used to be. Like I know this because Not as a former, I remember. former practicing uh, Mormon, um, I was you know very aware of caffeine content and beverages. Side side story: We may never get to the content. Today, That's fine. That's totally fine. Side side, side side story: circa nineteen ninety three. Now I have totally dated myself. Uh, I was Wait, what year? No, no, no. Nineteen ninety four. Nineteen ninety four. Ninety four. Yep. Uh, the location, Logan, Utah. Um, oh, I have to remember the name of the apartment complex I lived in. Evergreen something. It was right across from the spectrum. Uh, the Fresca delivery truck broke down out in front of our uh, <laughs> out in front of our apartment complex, and uh, I had a couple of guys that I lived with that were uh, auto mechanics and uh, were big time into restoring cars went out and helped this guy get his his truck running again and he ended up giving us a couple of like cases not cases but like big shrink wrap things of of fresca so we were stocked up for a good few weeks i mean i've loved fresca ever since then so gotcha yeah oh squirt ruby red squirt has caffeine and squirt and fresca are in the same citrusy blend so maybe i was getting them mixed up I'm just saying, you know, here in Utah, the caffeine consumption is one of those magical things that is a topic of conversation. So there you go. Com completely understood. I'm going to have to look this up while we're talking. Cause I can't remember the name of the apartment complex I lived in and now it's going to drive me crazy, but so, I, I've, so you guys got totally buzzed on Fresca. Oh, we were so jacked up on Fresca. <laughs> I mean, it's like no sugar, right? Or does it have sugar right. in it? No, it's it's like a, yeah. I mean, no. It's no like sugar. a cancer-inducing sweetener that you yeah, consumed maybe. a lot of. Yeah. Wait, where's the where's the football stadium here? I'm on I'm on this uh, application on the interwebs uh, called Google Maps. There it is, Pine View Apartments. That's it, right across from the yellow parking lot at the Spectrum. Oh, good times at Pine View. Yeah. Pine View Apartments, Logan, Utah. You can you can Google Maps that and see uh, out there on 1000 North um, is uh, is where the Fresca truck broke down. And uh, man, what a good time. So back back to the story. Um, I'm, I'm watching this episode of Seinfeld and George's dad, first time he appears in any episode. It's the episode where uh, he works for the uh, charity that gets wheelchairs uh, for people, if you guys mm -hmm. remember mm -hmm. correctly. And uh, so it's that episode. He walks in and it is not George's dad. And I am freaking out. And I'm like, am yeah. I hallucinating? What is yeah. happening here? It wasn't It wasn't Mr. Stiller, right? It no, wasn't it was like the first first two like first couple of seasons or only the first season he had a was, different different yeah. actor and it was it's terrifying to see that now. It is yeah. terrifying. Yeah. So totally. I and and I just badmouth Reddit. I get on Reddit and I'm trying to figure out what is happening <laughs> um and and how is this happening? Come to find out when they first shot um the and I think it may be, it may have been only one episode when they shot this episode um, they had a different guy cast as, as George's dad. And, um, oh, I have other ones, but I don't know if I should. Yeah, I'm not going to. We, we can talk about some of the other episodes offline. Jerry, um, Jerry had a different dad, too. Jerry did have a different dad, but yeah. that is also on the DVD cut uh, because yeah. it, it it's sequential in episodes where Jerry's dad at one point changes. I think it's a fantastic casting change, by the way. Mm. Um on Jerry's dad, because the, the 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 actor that plays it for the bulk of the series uh, was much better. Anyway, going back to George's dad, I go on to Reddit. I'm researching. They shot this episode with a different actor, um, and that's the episode that is on Hulu. 
So I started going deeper down this rabbit hole, uh, understanding what is happening. And I come to find out that the uh, series that Hulu purchased and streams is not necessarily what was broadcast on NBC. It's a, a different cut. Um, and so that means that this was the most glaring thing that I saw, that this episode that they went back and reshot the scenes with um, with George's new dad. Jer who is it? Jerry Stiller? What's his name? Yeah, Jerry Stiller. Yeah, Jerry Stiller. Yeah, yeah, with Jerry Stiller. They went back and reshot it and spliced it in, and that's what we see on the NBC broadcast, and that's what's on the DVD set. But that isn't what Hulu bought the rights to. Um, and not only that, some of the cut scenes are different, and some of the intro and outro scenes seem a little bit different to me. Um, and one other fascinating fact, um, the NBC broadcast version, which is also on the DVD box set, uh, was uh, cropped for TV. The Hulu stream is 16 by 9 widescreen. So you get some stuff on the peripherals that never made it to broadcast. That's crazy. Uh, because they did the opposite for The Simpsons for FX, which has now come over to Disney Plus with Disney acquiring Fox, where what they did was they took the TV cut and chopped off top and bottom to make it 16 by 9. Uh, and everybody is pissed yep. because it cuts out a lot of sight gags. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like yeah. store shop names and signs and stuff that are or in the background. Just like little things underneath. Yeah. Um, so it was funny. So, you know, you're, you're talking about this kind of stuff. And it reminds me of a couple exchanges yesterday that made me feel really, really old because you I'm are. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I was on the I was on the phone with a client, and I made a reference to Spaceballs that no one got, and then I made a reference to Iron Butterflies in a Garden of Eden. Iron and, Butterfly. Uh, yeah, in, in the Garden of Eden by yes. Iron yeah. Butterfly. Iron. Um, so of course, you know, I, I I look up both the actual music video, but then also that Simpsons clip, and that's the thing. If you look at Iron the Butterfly. new, yeah, you look at the new version for what's on on FX on TV and now Disney plus the way the clip goes, there's a little thing at the bottom that references the length of the song. And without that, you don't realize, you know, it, it takes away from the gag. Yeah. Interesting. That's, I did not know that. So, so other fun fact about Seinfeld, the slap bass that you hear yeah. is not an actual bass. It's a guy on a keyboard with a synthesized bass sound and a little like keyboard whammy bar thing. Um, pitch bender and every one of the episodes anytime that, it, that you hear that it is improvised for every episode um, do, you know that, do, you, do you know that because you saw that on dr mix um i don't know if i saw that on he, dr. He, he does he does do this he i don't know if he has a whole I don't, episode I don't, on I, I don't think i saw it on dr mix it was some some other like random thing that I found at one point in my life of random knowledge and facts. But, but yeah, it's actually fascinating because they, they show the guy and what he would do is he would watch the clip of it, of where the scene was going to start. And he would actually make a melodic track based on like the emotions he felt about that humor. And so it's all improvised to somewhat match kind of the pattern and the, um, the way that the words and, and, uh, and the tones of, of the speaking that happens as well. So hmm. kind of, but yeah, like it's not an actual bass though. And he does a phenomenal job making it sound like an actual bass getting like, you know, huh, interesting. I will, um, I swear I saw something on Dr. Mix about that. I'll see if I can, I can find it, but you know why that is also interesting because do you know what the folk uh, story is behind the, um, uh, Seinfeld theme song, specifically the slap bass. No, no. Uh, that it was uh, composed and played by uh, none other than Mr. Les Claypool, which uh, I don't believe is is true at all. No. Uh, but that was a long held uh, belief that that Les Claypool was was playing that. But um, yeah, according according to the Reddit, it's a Jonathan Wolf um, that yep. played it on the synth, right? Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. This is so much. This is so much more interesting than analytics. You you reminded <laughs> me of Doctor Mix though, and I haven't watched anything from him for a while. He's 
he's one of the most entertaining he really uh, is youtube personalities like that i've ever come across and and you would him, so. I was yeah. I was gonna ask. Did you tell yeah. me about him, or did I tell you to go check? You, you I think... told me about him. It was the um, take on me um, recreation that he did that you sent to me, and it got me hooked. So good, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He is. Uh, I, I really, I really enjoy his content. I, I was watching something. I'm trying to think of. Oh, the Night Rider theme song. Um, and I think he has a multi-part episode about recreating uh, the Night Rider theme song. And it's like. It's, a, it's over an hour of content, and I'm like, why can I not stop watching this? It is so fascinating. Jim's like, what, what, are, you guys, what are you guys talking about? No, it was – so it got me, like, more amped up to, like, start playing the piano than a lot of things do. Mm-hmm. And I actually ended up buying, like, a 55-key MIDI keyboard. Um, oh, did you? That Yeah, I've got in here. Jim, are you okay with this? I mean, we're just kind of riffing here. Yeah. <laughs> It's even got like the drum pads up there. So I can't, I can't hear you, Jim. Yeah. It's okay. Jim doesn't need to talk. He's, um, oh, he was purposely on mute. Yeah. It's yeah, okay. I, I, I was on right. mute. I was going to say, you know what? Go for it because you've given me my segue into our actual content when we're ready to get into it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, just I thought before we were recording, you've been recording we, for a while. So I figured you're going to use all of the content at some point, you know, <laughs> before we, before we leave that, uh, before we leave that that topic, um, it's it's really interesting um, the the Doctor Mix stuff, seeing how he breaks down things and learning about yeah. all the different sounds. It's really fascinating to me. And one thing that I've noticed that he he does a lot of um, '80s music recreation with his with his synthesizers, yeah, uh, and all his equipment. And yeah. I have been hooked. Um, I'm gonna pull up my Sonos controller. I've been hooked on. Uh, uh, tune in's eighties hits radio station for like three weeks now. And it's what I play in the office all the time. And now it seems like every song that comes up, I'm like, wait a minute, that's a sound that I've heard Dr. Mix recreate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's totally true. Um, like Axel F from Beverly Hills cop. Yeah, yeah. That. That's, that's a great episode by the way. Yeah. Um, and now anytime I hear them, like I can hear every one of the instruments in those tracks now Yeah, yeah. because the way he breaks it down and like recreates them. Yeah. And then the funniest thing to me is like, okay, let's mix it up. And it's like a five second, like sped up version of hours of him, like actually doing the editing of the sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good times. Awesome. All right, Jim, go with your uh, intro pivot segue. Yeah. So, you know, let, let's actually get into the actual content that people came here for. So for like the three listeners that haven't fired us yet, um, the topic I had today was a follow on from from a previous episode that the three of us recorded. And one of the things we we'd mentioned toward the end was when to fire a client. You know, so we've all worked for organizations where we've dealt with toxic clients. Now, these are the clients that know that no matter what they do, what they demand, they'll be supported. And but on the flip side, you know, there's the concept of firing clients and it's often floated about. But in many cases, it could be seen as as rhetoric and, you know, maybe a sales pitch that, you know, oh, clients that, you know, don't meet our standards, you know, we, we, we cut them off and yada, yada, yada. Um, but, you know, a lot of times people don't necessarily follow through. So to get us started, you know, when and why should you fire a client? And how can you tell the difference between a tough client and a client that needs to be fired? And this conversation just took a dramatic turn. Yeah, I, I'm not even smiling now. Brian was, <laughs> was all happy, you know, he's all serious face. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a big, big conversation. And, and I will say, even before we get into that, one of the things that that I have learned is that if, if it's a conversation that you're having a lot, the 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 problem is most likely on on you. Um and and the reason I say that is that um, a lot of, a lot of those conversations probably should be figured out before you even decide to, to do work together. Um, and it's something that took me a while to figure out. And, and I think part of it is, especially when you're 
starting a new company, there's a lot of panic about just getting business in the door. Um, and while I think we, we pride ourselves, especially early on in sticking with our ideals when it came to the, the clients and the type of work that we chose to do, um, I don't think I had learned enough about how to properly evaluate fit um, through the sales process. Uh, at, at this point, seven or so years in, I think I have definitely become uh, much better at, at doing that. Um, but I, I think it's important to call that out because again, if it's a conversation that you're having consistently within your organization, I think it's more of an upstream problem than anything else where you're letting, uh, you're accepting clients in that you probably shouldn't have in the fir first place. And that's really unfair to everybody. Um, well, so with, with that, I mean, how would you, I mean, this when, when to fire a client or when to sever ties with, a partnership are symptoms like if you're if you're at that point there's underlying symptoms or under underlying causes rather and that's a symptom of a cause you know somewhere else right so like can we can we categorize why that conversation would even come up is it is it a customer is upset because of failed expectations is it they're just a complete jerk and and horrible to work with is it that they are like socially and professionally manipulative. Um, like I've dealt with clients that are that way that, that, you know, play different members of teams against each other for the intent of their own personal or professional game. Like, like, are we dealing with personality or um, like actual issues with a contract or with, with the partnership? I think maybe we, we start yeah. there. And I think the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I think most importantly, the first thing to figure out is, uh, what are, what are the expectations? Uh, because yeah. oftentimes we don't have that open conversation about expectations and it's where, where you have misset expectations in the relationship where it tends to, to break down very, very quickly. So, uh, being open and upfront about what, you're trying to do what they're trying to do what the expectations are is critically important and, and this goes for for all kind of relationships you know i think about it in uh, the employer employee relationship and how we often tend to fake that most important interaction through the job hiring process where we we kind of dress up and we have a tone of voice and a conversation and we hide the things that you know we we put on this act so that we can get the job and and companies do the same thing right they they put on an act to only show the good faiths and and try to show you know here's the the fun things i'm going to walk you around and show you our game room and our kick-ass cafeteria and they don't they're not open in what the expectations are and having those conversations and oftentimes that's what leads to after the honeymoon period a very quick breakdown in the relationship because the expectations weren't clear up front and so uh from from that perspective it's something that i have been very transparent and clear with the prospects that I talk to, to say, this is how we work. This is our model. This is our expectation for, for you. This is how I expect we will engage together. This is how I expect you to be an active participant in that project. What are your expectations? You know, what do you want? Um, and sometimes it's companies come back and say, to be honest with you, we're looking for um, a contractor that can come in and fill a hole. We already know what they want. We want them to do. We have a, a, a bunch of tasks for them to do. You know, we're not asking them to think about it. We just need them to come in and do it. Great. That's not a good fit for us. Right. Um, right. So getting those conversations out of the way very early um, is is really, really Im important. And I think it's not something that people are used to, even on the sales side. Just think about the sales process. Again, it's, you know, if you go back to the old school sleazy sales guy, it's whining and dining. And, you know, it has nothing to do with having real conversations about here's what you're going to expect. And, and people are scared of that because people are going to get turned off and turned away. And that's absolutely right. And that's what you want, right? Through that process, you want to have that conversation so people self-select um, because it's going to end up better for them and it's going to end up better for you as well. I, I can't tell you, I can't put a number on how costly it is to have the wrong client, but it's, it's very high and it can be catastrophic if you don't get a handle on it uh, very early. So it's the, the, the risk of, of not having that conversation uh, is just massive. But I understand from a sales perspective, from someone trying to get someone to agree perspective, 
from from a buyer perspective, it's a very uncomfortable place to be because it's just something that that most people are not used to when they're evaluating um, a buy a buy um, opportunity. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've enjoyed um, since joining Thirty Three Sticks is um, one of the major areas that caused contention with clients and. It, in in at thirty three sticks, we are divorced from any um, formal partnership with a vendor or a specific tool. Whereas my previous role at Adobe, um, having to be a service arm for a vendor, um, provided all sorts of additional complexities that most service organizations don't have to deal with. And that is that in addition to a service contract that we need to. Uh, maximize revenue and profit from there is also the vendor relationship and and those two sales teams often were different and didn't have a lot of open communication and so expectations could and often were set that were unattainable by one team yeah. about the other and and that oftentimes and that's that's why I brought up the point earlier around you know is it is it failed expectations that make a client act a certain way, or is it just the client actually being like a sociopath? And, and in a lot of cases, while at Adobe, clients were promised things outside of technological capability. Um, and we were a service arm in which we were supposed to just make it happen at all costs. And so that created a lot of dynamics that um, really hindered making strong relationships with clients and, and, you know, put everybody under a high stress. But yeah. Um, to, to the point that you're making around like, you know, doing that screening up front. Um, I think, I think we can say a lot of things here that, um, you've, you've created this culture here that is intentionally different and divorced from those things that a lot of organizations, um, are unable to do so. So how, how do we address that for someone that's in a situation where they're, where they're completely downstream and dealing with that client um, yeah. that, that probably should be fired, but they can't be because, you know, there's $5 million of revenue or licensing on the line. Um, and, you know, their service contract is worth 50 grand and nobody really cares about that. So they don't really care how they're treating you as a consultant or as a consulting manager or a director over consulting because, you're, you know, you're, you're nothing when it comes to yeah. the amount of revenue that that client is actually worth to the company. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I don't, I don't know if there's an easy answer for that. Um, cause it, it, you know, I, I think that's something we've, we've all faced. Um, and even back in the early days at, at Omniture, we, we faced something similar, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the sales team to make sales. Um, they made, commitments and promises that they couldn't fulfill and were very difficult for us to fulfill. And, um, it made, it made, made us the bad, the bad guy, unfortunately. Um, yep. uh, I, you know, I don't know how to solve that problem. Um, and I don't know really where the problem lies. I think it's, it's multifaceted. I think it's definitely an upper management problem of, of setting proper priorities that are, um, consistent across the organization. Uh, I definitely think it's a wall street problem. Uh, where we have companies that are living quarter to quarter based on uh, financial results that win the day. And so oftentimes sales tactics get prioritized above everything else. And whatever it takes to, to make the deal this quarter trumps everything else, unfortunately. And what that means is oftentimes, uh, you know, people like you, Brian, at Adobe, and I'm, I don't want to pick on Adobe because it happens in almost every company with a software services component. Um, promises get made that make your job as a services um, manager, services, someone that's executing on the services side, an uphill battle. And the way that we kind of talked about it in the early days at, at Omniture, we said that we're coming in at like a minus eight or a minus nine, <laughs> and, and we're going to feel good if we can crawl, crawl our way up to zero, um, let alone being positive with the customer, because we were put in such a deep hole because because sales was doing what they could do to make the sale. Um, yeah. I, 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 I do think there are companies that are flipping that paradigm for sure, um, that have more consistency and looking at, at having shared goals. Um, 
but you know, money, man, is a is a massive driver. And whether it's it's Wall Street driving quarterly results or the sales guy wanting to add another zero to his paycheck, that's that's often gonna push the needle uh, more than trying to have a more uh, sane conversation about what's the best thing for the company and the client long term. Yeah. Yeah, and I do think you know vendors have have that complexity that that doesn't exist. But I I see it also with small agencies or or even medium sized agencies that to get that brand like we we've got to have um, you know this brand in the lifestyle space so that we can put it on our logo and say we partner with so and so, um, and they're they're willing to to sacrifice their corporate culture to get that logo, to help further it. It's that, it's that thirst for growth. Um, and I think, you know, the, the way that, you know, I've, I've kind of posed a lot of challenges in this discussion so far, and, and maybe, maybe now I'll switch to kind of sharing my opinion on certain things. But I, I think as, as a former manager of a, of a large organization, I, I found it extremely troubling um, that, more conversations were had about how to deal with challenging clients than opposed to how to actually help my my team members grow and how to help them benefit from growth. And I feel if you're in that position where you're either having more conversations with your manager about, hey, this this client's really challenging, not because the work is hard or I'm having to learn something, but because they're they're just not easy to work with and and they're not getting that support. Or if you're a manager and you're dealing with so many clients that you're kind of up against the wall around like it just not being a healthy partnership, you need to make that decision for whether or not you're going to have massive amounts of turnover in your employees. Because is is that cost worth it to train up new talent and bring them on with your clients um, and and potentially have them spin out a year out from now um, versus divorcing from you know, that particular brand, that unicorn brand that's going to help you get all sorts of recognition in the industry. And, yeah. and it's a hard one to make, but but you have to make that decision. Are you about your people and your clients? Are you about just your clients? Are you about the growth and what you're trying to do with your business? And and it's one of the things that I've come, and I'm not just saying this because Jason, you're on the line, but it's it's been a, a real change for me in working in a in a place that values the relationships regardless of client brand or logo we work with beyond anything else and and it's it's been eye-opening yeah and i i think it is such an important conversation to to have uh, because i think it's also about where you put your your vision and um the reality is is that that everything we do is a lot more than just the opening attack and so often we put way too much emphasis on, again, that that short term gain without thinking about, well, what does this mean for future possibilities and sustainability? Uh, we, we rarely do that. And this is going to this episode, I think, is going to out me as, as having a serious YouTube addiction. Um, but I, I'm OK with that. Uh, I watch. I don't want to say how many hours a week because I watched a five hour tournament the other day. I, I'm really into, I, I'm, I'm really into, uh, I'm really into chess, watching chess, uh, on, on YouTube. Um, and there's a guy that breaks down historical chess games, uh, in about 15 to 20 minute long episodes will break down a game. And it's fascinating to me. I'm probably like, uh, the world's worst chess player, but I, I'm fascinated watching it. Anyway, in chess, there's the concept of the poisoned pawn. And it reminds me a lot about what, what yeah. you're talking about, Brian, of, well, we just have to get this logo. But oftentimes that logo is a poisoned pawn. And, and what that means is, is that in the opening um, moves in a, in a chess game, oftentimes there's a trap that players will play where they put a pawn out there that can be taken. It looks so seductive. We just have to have this pawn. But if you take it, it's a losing move. It puts you in a position where you're going to lose material and ultimately you're going to lose the game because you took that pawn. And then I think we, we were faced with that poison pawn a lot in business, whether it's adding a specific logo or it's making a decision because we need this specific deal to get done this quarter at this time, oftentimes it's poisoned and it looks, it looks really seductive when we take it, but you know, uh, we get to the middle and the end game and we see that that was a horrible, 
horrible mistake to put us in a losing position long term. So are these companies that are going quarter to quarter, <clears throat> are they just functionally unable to see the middle and end game because every quarter goes by so quickly that they're always picking the poisoned pawn, so to speak? I think that's true of most companies for sure. Yeah, I think I think once companies get to a certain size, um, it's it's too difficult to um, sustain their model other than just thinking quarter to quarter. Um, I, and I'm sure people will come back and, and say that they have examples of companies that don't. And I, I'm sure there are. Um, I mean, Jim knows the company that I'm going to throw out that does. Right. Maybe not. I think so. Uh, so I would throw out Patagonia um, as a company that definitely thinks about the future uh, more than just this next move. Um, but I think for most companies, it's it's hard. And um, I I don't I don't know what the largest company you guys have been a part of. I think the largest company I've ever been a part of was about eighteen thousand uh, employees, and I saw how difficult it was at, at at just that scale, which I think is still considered a fairly small company, right? At eighteen thousand employees. Um, yeah, it's how, how difficult it was for a company of that size um, to think anything other than just a few days out, right? Like it, it was very, very difficult to move um, a company of, of that size. So maybe that's just the reality of getting to that size. And I, I, I want to be careful about how I, I kind of paint that picture because you know, it's it's a much different world, our size of company, right? Like we can make decisions and pivots really, really quickly. It's not fair to say that that would work at, at scale. With that said, I still think that the lessons are, are still the same. And, you know, taking a poison pawn is taking a poison pawn. And, you know, a company that has a billion dollars in the bank, you may not see the impacts of it because they, they have a bit more Oh, we missed you. We missed you on a previous episode, Brian, because I was throwing out all sorts of uh, corporate cliches. Uh, but uh, they have a bit more runway, if mm. you will. <laughs> They're laying down the track in front of the train. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one, but, sh but sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, but to your point, and I, I think there is legitimacy in saying that, you know, once a company gets to, to a large large enough size, it becomes much, much harder. So, I mean, I think that, you know, that, that goes to what we've talked about for the last several years in finding ways to scale. So we don't fall into that pattern of the only way we can support new clients is to grow by adding people, right? So we get, you know, so we prevent ourselves. So we stay small, we stay lean and prevent ourselves from growing to a size where it becomes harder to do that. Are you trying to go me into getting into a discussion about billable hours versus non-billable hours? Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that that decision is often driven by the the model, right? When when mm -hmm. you handcuffed yourself that the only growth that you can do is by adding more people so you can add more hours, it's kind of an, a losing in game. But I think that's a conversation for a different episode. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about the bill, billing model. Um, it's, a fun, it's a fun conversation. Though, I mean. Yeah. Um, but no, it just, as, as you were talking, it, it made me think about a lot of what we've talked about, uh, you know, internally, just you and I and finding ways so we can stay small, so we can be much more flexible and make those kinds of decisions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do want to go back to the start when you kind of laid out the dirt, or maybe it was Brian that mentioned, you know, which, which is, what is it? Is it a personality thing? Is it a contractual thing? Because I do think that there's a personality component to it. Um, and I think it's an important conversation to have as well uh, in that personalities come and go. So I think it's important to uh, pull apart. Is it this person or is it the culture of the company that's, that's coming through in that personality? Um, if you have cultural differences, um, it probably is a good idea to, to walk away from that, that deal up front. Uh, but that's a tougher thing to, um, kind of tease out when you're just figuring out a relationship. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't default to say that it's either one side or the other, that if you run into a difficult, um, a difficult personality, that it's, 
this person versus this company culture. Uh, I will say that I have been getting better at recognizing that. Um, I told a very, 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 and they let me know how very, 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 very large they are and how people don't say um, no to them brand to get lost. Um, because during the procurement was, process, was it, was it get lost that you said, or a little I'm bit trying, more aggressive? I'm trying to keep our, our non E rating on the, well, I mean, I think I think it's important for people to know that it, it was, was a, bit, it was a it little was more a bit, assertive than get lost. It was a bit more assertive. <laughs> and to your point, it would have been a really, really sexy logo to have on our site. Um, it would have been a, you know, a brand to add to our NASCAR slide, if you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> but during the procurement process, they showed a very, very abusive side, very abusive. Um, and it was not just one person. And it was very easy to, for me to see that this was a part of their company culture. And it was very easy for me to see it, say that this is our poison pond, that if I were to take this, um, it would have put us in a very, very bad situation um, in which I would expose you guys to working in a very, very toxic environment. So um, I definitely think there are there are cultural issues. With that said, I think there are challenging personalities as well. Um, and I don't necessarily think that a challenging personality should be grounds for firing a client, at least not immediately. Um, because, you know, a lot of times our job and why we're in there is to help make make people better and 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 sometimes it's helping people understand that there's a different way that they can go about their their job and and kind of throwing our hands up and saying yeah this is a, a tough personality to work with um isn't doing us any favors and, and honestly isn't doing the company and the the person that we're working with uh any favors so i know it's challenging but i would say you know probably the majority of the people we work with are are um, challenging in a way. And I would say we're probably challenging in a way. And, yeah. and that's okay, as long as we have a shared goal and vision that we're trying to get to, and it's a team effort that we're trying to get there. Uh, you know, I think people have a vision that just because you're teammates, you always get along and hang out with each other and like each other as best friends all the time. And it's, it's, it's not true, right? Like you, you have difficult times and good times. And it's the same in, in our relationships with customers um, because it's a real relationship. There are going to be challenging times and, and better times. Um, and I think that that's okay. Uh, and, and we really owe it to everybody involved in that to, to work through those, those scenarios. Um, if there is... Um, yeah. Sorry. Okay. I, I have a funny story about, you know, personality. So when you're done, I do. Want to I, I, was just gonna, I was just going to finish with, you know, if there really is a challenging personality and it's creating a very toxic relationship, it should be addressed. You know, it mm -hmm. shouldn't just be brushed under the rug. It shouldn't be, we're going to have really tough internal conversations and bitch about that personality, but then not have that conversation with the person we need to, you know, we need to respect the relationship and have some tough conversations and put all of us in the best um, position to succeed. But again, I don't think a tough personality is an immediate cause for, for firing um, a client by any means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you got to ask yourself too, why, why are they a tough client? Um, because as you mentioned, we're brought into, you know, the, the analogy I've, I've heard before is, you know, we're not hired because everything's going well, like we're a triage center or a triage unit to, um, you know, emergency victims, so to speak, in a lot of cases, like there's, there's something really bad going on, and we're, we're trying to help them figure it out. So oftentimes, they're pretty high stress um, situations on the client, and they're, they're in that situation where it's a quarter to quarter um, culture and they've got a lot of pressure. So if they're being, if they're being difficult because they've got stress, then how do you help that? How do you become the, um, the release valve for that stress and provide them ways to, to show value for themselves so that that pressure lessens on their load. And it goes back to one of the things that, that, you know, I've been doing since joining here, which is really building that personal relationship with the individual that I work with, regardless of, of who they are and, and what their title is or where they're at. Because once you have that personal connection to them, it, it becomes much less 
um, frequent that it's it's us versus them. It's a we situation in which we're working together to better their program or better their um, analytics deployment or their testing and optimization program. And they see me as that partner and not as a threat or not as somebody that is um, looking to to change things for the sake of changing them. Um, that relationship is critical. Yeah, no, it's it's such a strong point, and I think it's important for for people to take a minute and and think through that because whether you're in professional services or you're providing services internally in your company, um, you're in that position because you're filling a need that that isn't there otherwise. And um, I think Jim and I have had the the conversation, you know companies aren't hiring us just because we're like super fun to hang out with, which I mean, true, which we, are. we are. They're, they're hiring us because there's there's a problem and, and we're there to fix it. Um, and I think about it on, you know, with the shoe on the other foot, um, I, I think if, if we just fired clients because of that, um, I'm wondering who would fire me. I'm sure my accountant would have fired me a long time ago because every time I'm calling him up, it's because I'm freaking out. You know, I'm panicking about something and I need him to like, talk me through it and fix something. And so I'm not talk. I'm not usually calling him up saying, Hey, so, uh, did you see the bears play the other night? <laughs> something I was trying to come up with, uh, trying to come up with a, uh, um, Ferris Bueller reference. Gotcha. Um, yeah. it's zero, zero. Who's winning the bears. So anyway, um, I, I think it's an important reminder that when you work in services that oftentimes, you know, it, it is a challenging situation because you're not, you know, that's why you're being brought in. You're not being brought in because you're fun to hang out with. You're being brought in because you're, there's a challenge and you're, you're the person that they believe can help solve that, that problem. All right, Jim, go with your story. Yeah. So I've, I've got a funny story when it comes to like managing difficult personalities. This is going back eight, nine years. Um, we're re-implementing analytics for, for a large large retailer and the the main contact on the client side is notorious throughout our company of just being someone difficult to work with and you know he and i we we, we just we just clicked uh, we got along really really well um we had a great working relationship so much so that when we started uat the uat environment was running like crap like we, we actually sat there and timed it where it took like five minutes just to run one on-site search. And we had a few hundred test cases to get through. Um, so I would normally do UAT alongside the client with them to make sure everything is working good. We get on, on, on the phone with the project manager who's on another team, you know, it, for the company that I'm working for, um, the client, me, I'm on there, you know, a couple other people. And he just rips everybody on the phone a, you know a new one just tears everybody apart like this is unacceptable yada 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 you got to fix it um get this taken care of the project's at risk like just tears into everybody i no sooner hang up the phone and i get a call from his number so i pick it up it's hey jim it's dave i just want you to know i Kind of had to light everybody up there, but I wasn't directing it toward you. I just kind of needed to go after everyone. I'm like, no, nah, I got you, David. It, 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 it's fine. And then a few other people on like the, the tech account side for the client were just like, how do you get along with him? How do you work with him? Like, honestly, I give him the time of day. You guys see him as a secondary when he's being asked by his senior management to report on the health of the business. You're not giving him the time of day. He's not getting what he needs. You put his request to secondary or, you know, even third level on, on the list. That's what I'm doing. That's that that's what makes him easy to work with is, you know, do I bend over backwards for him? I wouldn't say I would. I just answer the phone and I just I, I answer his emails and give him an honest answer on where something's at. And he respects you for it. Treat people with empathy, mm -hmm. you know, be, uh, be empathetic to the position they're in. And, and ultimately, um, I, I think that that typically wins the day. I, I think back to this client, this, well, never a client, but prospect I had to let go, you know, 
all, all it would have taken would, was a little bit of empathy um, instead of trying to be, you know, I'm the big bad guy, like no one says no to us and, and things could have been completely different for everybody. Um, but such is life, but it's a good takeaway. It's better. Yeah. It's better to be, it's okay to be nice, you know, and understanding that, yeah. that tends to get you far. And you know what, when, when, when you're able to do that, when things do get tough, when you do, here's another cliche, you know, get in the trenches in the middle of a project, it, it makes those, those difficult periods of a project of an implementation run, run so much smoother, or at least helps you get, get, get through it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Good. Yeah. Good. And always, oh. always take a minute to, you know, just to think about it step away from it if you're yeah. like i I've, I've been in some heated client Brian, conversations Brian, Brian's talking to me telling me to cool cool down no I i'm not talking no, to you no, I, right no, now but but no if uh, i i've been consulting for over 15 years there's been a number of times in which there's there's been those conversations that um it's an hour long but it feels like 10 years of your life um because of the uh, tension or tone or both um, involved there. And in those particular days or moments, if you can, and you should try and make it a way to be able to cancel the rest of the day and go on a drive or go on a walk and think about it uh, or get away from it, you know? So um, take, take every opportunity to take the time to think through things and make those relationships valuable um, where you can. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a good way to wrap it up. It's good. Been a awesome conversation. Yeah. It's been uh, it's been a real fun one. Even though we took the first 15 minutes to talk about Seinfeld and YouTube and I don't know how much you're going to cut out, but that was some good stuff too. No, I'm keeping it all in. All right. <laughs> cool guys. Well, I appreciate it and uh, we'll catch everybody later. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.